Uh, Mount Everest has been in the news this week. Sorry, Joel, can you just hit the... Oh, it helps if I turn it on, that'll work better. There we are. Mount Everest has been in the news this week. Uh, perhaps you've seen some of these photos on social media. Startling photos of overcrowding and traffic jams near the summit of Mount Everest. Dozens of climbers waiting their turn to reach the summit. Uh, that sort of altitude is called the death zone because there's only one-third the oxygen available at sea level. And your body begins dying pretty much as soon as you get to that altitude. It's not the sort of place you want to be waiting for hours. The problem is the climbing season is only a few weeks long, so everyone who wants to climb Everest has to do it in that window. Everyone wants to stand on the highest point in the world. They're willing to risk death for their moment of glory. Uh, death or glory, that's the choice. Uh, so far this year, 600 people, including guides and porters, have reached glory. They've reached the summit. Uh, but 11 climbers have already died. Uh, and there's a photo that was published this week that showed walk climbers having to walk past and over dead bodies to actually reach the top. Death or glory. Uh, John chapter 11, the story that we've just read, Jesus has a similar choice. Death or glory. We've actually come in uh, halfway through the story. The background is Jesus has nearly been killed. Uh, that's back in chapter 10. Uh, he was in Jerusalem, the capital city. Uh, he'd managed to upset the religious leaders. They wanted him dead. They'd tried to stone him, but he escaped. Uh, and he heads out of town. He's off into the desert. It's it's uh, maybe 150 kilometres away from Jerusalem. It's nice and safe. And that brings us to the end of chapter 10. And this is where we start in chapter 11. While he's there, he gets a message from some old friends. A man called Lazarus is sick. He's at death's door. His sisters send a message, verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, come and make him better. Hurry, he's about to die. He's one of your closest friends which is fine, except the problem is they live in Bethany, which is only a few kilometres from Jerusalem, where people were trying to kill Jesus. And so Jesus has this choice. He's torn between friendship and danger. Now, on the one hand, he can stay where he is, he can stay safe, but he can disappoint his good friends. So he's risking Lazarus's death. The other option is he can go back to Bethany, he can heal his friend, he can show his glory but he can risk his own death, death or glory. And so Jesus makes his choice. It's not too hard because he loves his friends. And so he says in verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. He chooses glory. The sisters had feared death would win, but Jesus says the whole episode is destined not for death, but for glory instead. People will end up seeing God's glory. They'll see his fame, his power, his goodness. They'll see it through his son, Jesus. But not just the people of Jesus' time. This event was so important, people remembered it, including John the Apostle, who years later wrote it down. And so people have been reading about this story for the best part of 2,000 years, when you and I are reading about it. 
and they're seeing something of the glory of Jesus as well. Jesus chooses glory over death. And so we assume once he makes that statement that he's going to head back to Bethany. But that's actually the opposite. But he does the opposite of what we might expect. Verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. He doesn't rush off. You can imagine the disciples thinking, what sort of friend is this? Maybe fear has got the better of him after all. And it gets even weirder when you look a little closer at his motivation. Verse 3 tells us that uh, this is the man, uh, Lazarus is the one Jesus loved. Verse 5, we're told that Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus. In fact, down in verse 36, uh, when Jesus weeps, the whole crowd say, see how much he loved this family. And then there's verse 2. We're told that this is the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair in love for him. Now that doesn't actually happen until chapter 12, which is interesting on its own. Uh, so why does, Luke mention, uh, why does John mention it here in chapter, uh, chapter 11? I think it's to show the reader how much Mary loved Jesus, how close this family was to him. And then we get to verse 6 that says, Jesus waited two more days even though Lazarus was dying. It's almost criminal, isn't it? When you see in the news stories about how ambulances have been attacked on the way to emergencies, uh, triple, false triple zero calls mean that ambulances can't get to where they're supposed to be. It's, it's criminal, it can be deadly. But here we've got Jesus hanging around for two more days. Why does he do it? Well, it's because he loves Lazarus, which seems crazy, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to make sense. And so our translation that we've got in the the Pew Bibles adds an extra word, yet. Uh, Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus, verse 5, yet, verse 6, he stayed there two more days. It might sort of explain it if it was the word for yet, but it's not actually the word for yet. It's the word therefore. Jesus loved Mary, Martha and Lazarus, therefore he stayed two more days. So what's going on? It was because of his love that he waited. Well, what it's saying is that for Jesus, for this family he loves, there's something more important. There's something better for them than their happiness or their comfort or their health. And that is that they might recognise God's glory. That in the events that are about to unfold, they would look at them and see the power and the wisdom and the love of Jesus. And that they would see and understand and trust the character and the actions of God himself in what was going to happen. That's what Jesus wants for this family he loves. And so that's why he stays where he is for two more days. And Jesus wants the same for you. He wants something more important for you than your health or your comfort or your happiness. He wants exactly the same thing he wanted for Lazarus and his family, that you too would recognise God's glory because he loves you. Because he loves you, he wants in all the events of your life that you would recognise the hand of God, that you would recognise the magnificence of God himself. 
who's involved himself in our world in the person of his son Jesus and you would trust him that you'd honour and follow him even in the face of death. That's what this chapter has to say to us. That's what the lesson we need to learn is. So he waits two more days and then announces he's headed back to Jerusalem. Verse 11, we're told because Lazarus is sleeping and Jesus is going there to wake him up. Now that doesn't make much sense to the disciples. They can't understand why he would head back into danger just for somebody who needs waking up. And so Jesus spells it out just to avoid the confusion. Sleeping means death. He's actually waited until Lazarus has died. Verse 14. Uh, He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Rather than healing, like everyone expected, Jesus has something bigger in mind, something more glorious, resurrection rather than healing. Something which in the long run is going to be for the good of the disciples and this family. Something that will help them recognise God's glory and help them to trust him. And so they head off. trip must take a few days. When they arrive, they discover Lazarus is not only dead, but he's been in the tomb for four days. Martha comes out to meet them. She's grieving. Verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's a terrible cry of grief and pain. But I think probably it sounds more regretful than accusing and angry. It's regretful. She knows that Jesus could have done something if only he'd been there in time. But notice the assumption that's behind that regret, that Jesus has a a limited amount of power, that, that he can do something about sickness, but not about death. She's put Jesus in a box. It's a measured and finite Jesus, a Jesus who can help with sorrow and sickness and pain, who can help with the symptoms, but can't do anything about the cause, can't do anything about death itself. But Jesus is much bigger than her box. And so he reassures her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, sure, I know that. At the resurrection, verse 24, on judgment day, it's over for him now, but sure, I believe that along with everybody else he'll rise. But once again, she's limiting Jesus. But Jesus is bigger than her box. And he makes the breathtaking claim in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's a wonderful statement about the power Jesus has. Not only does he give life, not only can he cause resurrection, but in some sense he is those things. He is resurrection and life. He's Mr. Resurrection and Life. Those things are found only in him. He's not one shop you can go to to get them. He's the only shop in town. He doesn't just access them, he is them. He is life. uh, Colossians 1.16 says that all things in heaven and on earth were made by Jesus and for him and through him. He's the king over life. He created it. He is resurrection and life. They're wonderful words when death comes knocking. 
You'll hear them at Christian funeral services because they give comfort. Death is the playground bully who delights to beat everybody up and no one can stand up against him except for Jesus, someone who can do something about the pain and the finality of death. He's, he's your big brother who comes and stands behind you when that playground bully is threatening you. But it's not just for Lazarus, is it? Lazarus will go on to die again. Uh, He gets to experience death twice, lucky him. Uh, He only gets a delay of his final death. But Jesus also offers the sort of life that's beyond physical death. Life that you can't die from. The one who lives and believes in me will never die. He's promising something greater than physical life. Uh, Life even though someone dies. He offers full, rich, true, complete, absolute life. Life that was the way, uh, life lived the way it was designed to be, following the king of life. Abundant life, we saw that last week, didn't we? He offers abundant, ultimate, extraordinary life. And part of what that abundant life is now is the joy and confidence that comes from knowing what happens when we die. It gives us a whole new approach to life now, knowing what the future holds for us and what death can't do to us. Resurrection and life, the gifts he promises to anyone who trusts him, who lives and according to uh, their faith in him. She asked Mary, do you believe this? Life is available to all who trust. What about you? Do you believe it? It's a question that has some weight behind it. It's a question you need to ask yourself. Do you believe that Jesus is the only shop in town when it comes to resurrection and life? Are you willing to throw all of your hopes onto his shoulders? Or for Martha, what other choice does she have? Her her brother's in the tomb. Her cause is hopeless. There's not really anywhere else to turn. But if we think about it, it's not much different for us either. It may not seem as if death's shadow is hovering over us in quite the same way, but death is just a certain, isn't it? For some of us, it's decades away. Others, it might be 50, 60, 70, 100 years away. But it's still just a certain. In the face of your own death or the face of the death of someone you love, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? That you will live even though you die as you trust in him? Let me push that idea about belief a little further. Believing is not uh, what children do when they believe in the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny or Santa Claus. Uh, the belief Jesus is talking about is something uh, is more than something uh, that you think about something is important or, or even that something is true. Uh, belief, as Jesus is talking about it, is something you depend on, something that you lean against. I don't know if you've ever played the, the trust game where you, you know, people stand behind you and you just sort of fall backwards. Uh, it's one thing to say you trust your friends, that they'll catch you, but it's quite another to actually put your body at risk by falling backwards into their arms. 
Uh, belief for Jesus is that second sort of belief, when you're actually willing to lean against him. Jesus asked Martha, do you believe in me? Will you lean on me? Uh, will you put your fears onto my shoulders? Will you stand behind me in the face of that bully called death? And look at Martha's reply in verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. She sees it. Jesus is it. He's the one promised by God, the ruler, the king, the rescuer. That's the declaration of someone who does believe and who Jesus gives that gift of life to. And what about you? Can you say those same words yourself? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And if you do, let me ask, what does that look like for you, that leaning on Jesus, when you're sitting in the doctor's waiting room? Or when you're looking at the x-rays? Or when you're standing beside a hospital bed? Or when you're lying in the hospital bed? Or when you send your anaphylactic peanut allergy child off to school camp? Or you send your teenager off to Bali and you worry about their safety? What does it look like in your prayers, in your joy, in your confidence and hope? Uh, are you willing to place the, your fears onto Jesus' shoulders? Well, that's Martha. Next up, it's Mary. Uh, she arrives. She's a little late. Uh, and uh, when she arrives, it's almost the same words as her sister. Verse 32, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. She's without hope. Uh, her friends... The relatives are around as well and they're weeping. And Jesus can't stand it. Verse 33 says he's deeply moved and troubled. It's probably a bit soft of a translation. It's perhaps better to translate it as he's outraged and troubled. He's outraged. He's not angry with the people. I think he's angry with death itself. He's He's angry at the pain death brings, the separation, the loneliness, the ache. He's outraged because it was not meant to be that way. Death was not meant to be the monster that he's become. One day it won't be. There is something better. And this day, in the life of Jesus, people will get a taste of it, a taste of what the future will be, a glimpse of through the window into eternity. He says, where's Lazarus? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus does see. He does understand. He, he feels, he experiences, he empathises and, and so verse 35, he weeps. He sheds tears. I've heard people say it's their favourite verse in the Bible. It, it's, I think, the shortest Jesus wept. It's their favourite because it shows that Jesus was not distant. He wasn't uninvolved and uncaring. He wasn't too preoccupied to involve himself and get his hands dirty. Come and see, they ask, and he does see, and he weeps. 
And when you and I are in pain and we say to Jesus, come and see, he does. And he weeps. But more than just compassion, he's got the power to do something about it. We come to the tomb. Here's the showdown. Life and glory meets death, the bully. And at stake is Lazarus. He's the prize in this great tug of war. Jesus stands in front of the opening and he tells the people to take the stone away. There's an intake of breath from the crowd. They're the rubberneckers. They're keen to see some action, but maybe not that keen. After all, there's a smell, says Martha. He's been dead four days. But look at Jesus' reply. Uh, Verse 40, he offers Martha this this choice that he's been faced with, death or glory. Didn't I tell you, said Jesus, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. If you doubt, all you'll see is death. But if you believe, you'll see glory. They take away the stone and Jesus prays and he prays aloud. And he tells us why he's gone to all this trouble. I say this for the benefit, for the good of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is a story for you and for me, just as much as for those first eyewitnesses. Jesus says and does these things so that you might believe, that we might believe and see God's glory. We might see life and resurrection, and not just see Lazarus' resurrection, but ours as well. He calls out in a loud voice. It's interesting, isn't it? Perhaps so the whole crowd can be in in no doubt as to who's behind this. Perhaps to make sure Lazarus hears wherever he is. Lazarus, come out. Out stumbles Lazarus, still wrapped up in the grave clothes, hands and feet tied up. Jesus says, take the grave clothes off him, set him free. I've started the job, now you finish it. I've done the big bit, now you can finish off what I haven't quite done. I've done the cooking, you can do the washing up. I've raised him, you can unwrap him. Four days before, that same family had carefully and reverently wound those same grave clothes around him and lingered at their final moment together. (laughs) Now they rush forward. They can't wait to get them off. Perhaps there are more tears, this time tears of joy. Jesus has won the tug of war for Lazarus, the prize. Uh, Death or glory. The the sisters had a choice. They they believed. They saw glory. Uh, You and I have the same choice. Uh, We can recognise who Jesus is. Martha saw it. God's king. God's rescuer. The one who defeats death. The one who wins life and eternity. We can see it and trust him, uh, place uh, our life onto his shoulders, seek his way before ours, honour him. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then that's what he deserves. He deserves all that we have. That's what it means to choose glory, to choose life. The option is to choose death to ignore him, to shut our eyes to the truth of the story, to think we can cope with death ourselves, choose not to believe, 
This is a choice of life or death we have. Death is coming to get you. You can't escape him. You must choose. And the choice is death or glory. I think it's a pretty easy choice. I know what I choose. What about you? Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to see Jesus here. We thank you for this story where we get to see his glory. Please help us to trust. Help us to lean on him, to fall back into him when it comes to the fears we have around sickness and death for ourselves or our loved ones. And might that enable us right now, tomorrow, to begin to live the abundant life that you promise a life of trust and hope and certainty. Amen.